If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at Burrow.com ACAST. That's 15% off at borough.com slash ACAST. Hi, hello, sweet listeners. I'm Vic, and this is the In the Meadow podcast because mentally I'm in a field of lilies. This is a sliver of time to unpack adulthood, talk about navigating my 20s, and slowing down in a world of busybodies. And today I want to talk about learning to live with less. Now, I want to start this off by making it clear that I am not coming at this from a minimalist standpoint. First of all, I am not a minimalist. I like to have less things. It keeps me in a good budget. It keeps me feeling mentally better. It keeps me feeling in control of my life. But this is not coming from one of those standpoints of just wanting to have the white house with nothing around it. I am looking at you, Kim Kardashian. For the people that want that, that's wonderful. Maybe this isn't the podcast for you. I'm going to be talking about this because in this economy, a lot of us have started to live outside of our means. And I was raised in a household strongly believing in living below your means. And I think that's why my parents could retire at 55. Now, that's something I do not think that I will ever be able to do. However, I learned a lot from them and I want to share what I've learned, what I've learned along the way, the mistakes that I've made, and maybe how you can help dive into this mindset of living with less and being okay living with less. It's really important to first of all recognize that you can't blame yourself. We live in a society of capitalism. We live under capitalist structures, capitalist businesses, the big corporations that own all the smaller little corporations that infiltrate our minds and social media, which is a place where we go that is constantly pushing buying new things. You log into TikTok, you see Amazon Home Finds, a haul, a what's in my bag, ooh bag. Listen, I love all of those, but do I need them? No. Do I already have five other bags? Yes. How do we stop that cycle of thinking, oh, I need that because it served this person so well, or they look so cool. I want to be that cool. I want to remind you that you are your own main character. Nobody else is judging you or thinking about you and what you have as much as you are. I think that's a really important mindset to keep tucked away in the back of your head because a lot of us think about the impression that we leave on other people and the world when realistically no one is thinking about you as much as yourself and that might seem harsh, but think about it in a nice light. If you're somebody like me with social anxiety, that can also be helpful just to remember that nobody cares as much about you as you do. 
Again, positive light. I know it can sound harsh, but I want you to really think about the psychological background of this. And I am not a therapist. I'm not a psychologist. However, I think we can all recognize that serotonin or dopamine hit when you have a new purchase, you're waiting for it to come in the mail. You're checking, you're tracking, you're looking out the window. We have all been there. And then your package comes. The item is here. The bagu bag has arrived. You are ready to pack that crescent moon bag with your sunglasses, with your new, I can't think of the trendy items with your, I don't know, a lip balm that's really funky, fresh, and cool. So you unpack it, it's new, you're putting all your stuff in it, and then you go and make a tea? The excitement fades so quickly. And maybe maximum, there's some people that are really excited for a day or two to show their friends and family, but overall, that excitement fades very quickly. And again, I'm not gonna get too much into the psychological background around this, because I think that you should all talk to a therapist or a trusted friend. However, there is something to say about using consumption as a coping mechanism, something to make you feel better, to give you that instant hit, whether it's walking down the street to get a coffee or ordering $200 on Amazon at one o'clock in the morning. And this isn't to say that those coping mechanisms are unhealthy all the time, but I think they need to be used in moderation and we have to recognize why we're doing these things and if there's a healthier way that we could manage our feelings. So that's the first big mindset shift that I had to do was anytime I wanted to purchase something, I thought, hmm, am I just going to feel this instant gratification and then be over it and on to the next thing that's saved under my TikTok likes or saved in my Amazon cart? Sometimes I'll even get buyer's remorse where I'm like, wow, did I really just spend $40 on that? So I try and think about those feelings and I then compare them to thinking about how I feel if I don't buy those things. I look at things sitting in my saved for later in my Amazon cart or saved in my Safari bookmarks. And I think, hey, you know what? I could have bought that, I didn't. And now I have an extra $100 for groceries next month. I know, recession core. But it is a mindset shift that has helped me a lot in avoiding overconsumption and purchasing things that I really don't need. And I wanna talk a little bit about where I think those feelings stem from, for me at least. This is just talking about my personal experience, but I think that a lot of you might relate. I grew up with a single mom for the first few years of my life before my stepdad came into the picture and we lived life on a budget. I hope my mother still has not figured out how to listen to podcasts because this might break her heart that I'm sharing this. But I remember her telling me when I was a little bit older that when I was younger, I would ask for things like a McDonald's Happy Meal and she would go home and cry because she couldn't afford to get those for me. Which breaks my heart because as a kid, I was not a kid that cared. I was used to that being a treat and I would ask and you know, if you were told no, I was like, okay, well, that's the freaking way she goes. But of course, as a kid, you don't think about how that impacts your parents as well. Anyhow, there's many themes like that throughout my childhood that I think reflect upon how I feel now with things. I wasn't one of those kids that got everything that I wanted for my birthday or for Christmas. I wasn't getting a thousand dollars worth of gifts. Sometimes I wasn't even having the allowance to go back to school shopping and that's how it was. I don't blame my parents for that. The economy in the time that I grew up was also not a great time and my mom was a single mom busting her butt to make ends meet, keep a roof over my head and fill my belly even if it was craft dinner. However, I think it is important to recognize how that scarcity mindset translates into adulthood. Again, not a psychologist here, but I think we can all recognize that when you're younger, if you're used to being told no, that you can't have things, that you're not having all the newest things, you're used to thrift shopping out of necessity, not because it's quote unquote cool, that when you grow up and you start having adult money, you can buy whatever you want. And suddenly there's that void that you wanna fill and maybe that's to feed your inner child or maybe it's just that mindset shift that, whoa, now you don't have to live with less. And for some people, this can lead to things like hoarding disorders or on a smaller scale, just general overconsumption. And unfortunately, we live in a world where not everybody can afford therapy to properly unpack that. 
So it is a privilege to be in this position where we can recognize that scarcity mindset and make changes to stop it in its tracks. And do I think that it's wrong that if you have money and you want to curate a home or a wardrobe to be exactly who you want to be? No, I don't think that that's wrong. But I think for me, it was driving me into debt and setting me up for a future that I didn't want of living paycheck to paycheck, which still does happen now anyways, because again, hello, this economy. But I realized it just wasn't what I wanted. It wasn't filling anything more than a short term void. So I took up the practice again. I took some notes from my parents of living below my means, even though my means are already low to begin with. Which brings me to the topic of budgeting. Now I'm newer to the world of budgeting. I've always known my general expenses were somewhere around $3,000 a month just for rent, my office rent, insurance. But I wasn't tracking all my incoming and outcoming money. And I'm not saying you have to do this to every penny, but I do encourage you all to go out, create an Excel spreadsheet, or at least open up your journal and make a little chart to chart out your basic bare minimum expenses that you will have to pay every single month. So how I do this is I create a few columns and I'm gonna be uploading, it might even be up already, a video on TikTok and Instagram exactly showing you how I budget and my actual numbers and breakdown of my monthly expenses. But in case you do not give a crap about that and you are a podcast person only, I will briefly, briefly explain it. So I have my little T-chart and on the top I have monthly and a weekly column because I like to break down every expense to know how much I am paying for it monthly, divide it by four and get that number weekly as well so that I know how much is outgoing weekly. Or, you know, even if it's not coming out every week, how much is broken down into a weekly basis. It just helps give a different frame of mind. Then on the left side of my chart, I start with the basics, things that are not going to change. So my home rent, my office rent, my home and car insurance, my phone bill, and my internet. And then below that, and I color code these in my chart because I like that, breaks down, I have some variables. So I have my dog food, groceries, and my gas. And then in a third kind of section on that left side, I have my monthly subscription. So for me, that's Spotify, Amazon Prime, Kindle Unlimited, and Notaro, which is an online software for my business. So I break all those down and then I put their monthly expense down to the penny. I'm talking exactly with tax, figure it out, how much it is costing you. And like I said, I break that down into monthly and weekly. So for me, those things that I just mentioned, my monthly total is $2,970.41, which breaks down to $741.84 weekly. Now, when I put that together last week, that was a lot more money than I expected looking at it weekly, even though I knew my monthly expenses were somewhere around $3,000 before quote unquote extras shopping while we're talking about. It's a lot more when you think about the fact that almost $800 a week to simply exist. For me, that was a wake up call that I don't have all this money to be buying the newest cool clean beauty or funky leather jackets and denim jackets from the flea market. And as much as that would be so cool and I could take some nice little pictures or be the cool friend, that was not within my budget anymore. So what I do now to kind of budget what I have for quote unquote extras. I am a cash girly. This might be specific to those of us that work in the service industry and receive cash tips, cash payments. I know a lot of people don't have cash, otherwise maybe like Christmas gifts, birthday gifts, and your card from your grandma. But for me, I set aside all of that cash and that's my kind of extra money. Now, not every month is that extra money. Sometimes that becomes like gas money because I'm having a hard time hitting those weekly incoming money spots that I need to hit for that $740 threshold. 
However, generally at the end of the month, whatever cash is left over is my extra money. So say I wanna go out with some friends for lunch or I want to go buy a new cleanser for my face that I've been keeping my eye on. That is the money that I have allotted for that. Because with my incoming money, say I have a great month because I am self-employed, so my income is variable. If your salary doing your budgeting will be a little easier because you can expect how much money you're gonna have incoming and set aside those extra spots. For me, I don't have that. So like I said, say I have a good month and there's a lot more incoming than I expected, all that extra money typically for me gets set aside into a tax-free savings account. I'm not a homeowner and like I said, I'm self-employed, so I don't have a pension or a pension that's being set aside by an employer for me. So I set aside when I can. Am I setting aside every month? No. But am I setting aside when I can? Yes. So that extra money will go into my tax-free because saving is hard. It's far and few between. So when I can, my incoming money in my bank account electronically is going to my tax-free savings. If you're American, I don't know if you have tax-free savings accounts or how that works in America, but, but just think a savings account that you're not being taxed on and it's a nice safe little place for your extra money to go while you're saving for a house or retirement. Anyhow, um, some people would prefer to use that money electronically as their spend money. I've got to a point where I just don't need to do that. I use cash only because I am really happy living with less and there's some months where my cash rolls over to the next month because there's not anything I wanna even use it for. But that is budgeting. That is what I wanted to talk about there, which is living below your means, having an awareness about how much money is incoming and how much money is outgoing. And I think a lot of us did not grow up with that financial literacy. And unfortunately that's a privilege to have. I don't know why schools don't teach us better about basic budgeting or creating a budget sheet because it really is beneficial to have. And I keep both an Excel spreadsheet always open on my laptop. That tab is always open so I can see it often, remind myself of what kind of financial situation I live in. And I also keep one written down in a journal because for me, the process of writing something physically down drills it into my head better than typing something or even saying something. So I also took an afternoon to just copy down the numbers from my Excel spreadsheet into a journal so that I had that moment of just absorbing that information and those numbers another way to just get it into my head and have a better understanding. This can feel stressful for some people. A lot of us are not aware of how much we're spending or how much we need to make to survive. But this is not a podcast about credit card debt and debt in general. I'm just giving some basic tips for getting yourself to a place where you understand what living below your means will mean for you. But budgeting is a good place to start. Now I wanna get into some more tips about how to live with less and some practical ways that maybe you can apply to your life. Again, just a disclaimer not a professional. This is just what has worked for me. You can agree. You can disagree. You can take some points. You can ignore some points. But one, I guess it's not so much a tip as it is something that further motivates me to consume less is how much easier it is to clean when you own less things. I overall enjoy cleaning. I'm a person, I'm the Monica Geller. I have always been referred to as the Monica Geller. I love my cleaning gadgets. I love a clean house. I have a dog, so I vacuum very often. However, there's certain things that I hate cleaning, like my desk or my bookshelf or the shelves because they have things on them and things have to be dusted and the dust never stops because we're constantly shedding our skin. The dog is constantly shaking his skin off. I don't know, where does all the dust come from? This is a question for John and Hank Green. My point is the dust
is the enemy. So when you have less things, there's less to clear off to clean. You know what I mean? Like my desk, if I'm properly cleaning it, I'm having to remove all the books from it, my little perfume tray, my little jewelry tray, my lamp, all this stuff, my computer, my microphone, all the stuff that's literally in front of me right now, just to spray my all-purpose cleaner and give it a wipe. That is exhausting creates more work for you. Same with if you're vacuuming and you have a bunch of stuff, even like all these little aside tables and little poofs for your feet. Cute, nice, so annoying to clean around and have to pick up all these things. So that is one thing that I found is a big benefit of remi remembering that I can say no to a purchase is like how much easier it is to clean. I even do this with my dishes. Now, I know a lot of us, we have problems with owning a lot of mugs. I'm one of those people, but everything else in my kitchen, I live it. I own two small saucer plates. I own two small bowls, that's it. So I have to stay on top of things like the dishes because if I wanna go have oatmeal in the morning and I'm having dinner with a friend, I have to do my dishes. Having less just keeps me on top of things in my house more. That might sound annoying to people. And that might not vibe with the way that everybody functions. But for me, it's literally self-discipline that keeps me in line. It also keeps me less overwhelmed. I feel too overwhelmed when there's a lot of options to have. This goes for both picking out even a mug, even a mug people. I've had to reduce my mug collection because it's stressful. Same with like getting dressed in the morning. I can't own a lot of things because A, I don't really care. And B, it's too many options. I can't figure out what to do. I'll end up just picking something at random or drawing a number in my head and counting that many hangers. But that is something that I struggle with. So for me, having less helps me function better. I also find that I struggle with, I think it's called like object dispermanence. I can't quite remember, but basically out of sight is out of mind. But my things that I have that are tucked away in storage, I don't know that I have them and I don't really care about them. So thus, I don't really have things that I put out of the way, except for like important documents and like extra Kleenex and toilet paper up in the back of my storage because I, I don't need things for there because if I have things, I don't remember that I have them anyways. And whether you function to that extreme as well or on a lesser amount, I think a lot of you can probably relate to the fact that you think about what's in the back of your storage closet right now or what's under your bathroom sink, you're probably not gonna be able to recollect everything that you have in your house. So important when we're thinking about consumption to also keep in mind that half the stuff we buy, we don't use or even remember that we own it. Again, there's so many nuances in this and I understand that and I'm talking from my experience and maybe something that some of you can relate to. So on that note, something that I practice and a lot of you might already have heard of is thinking about your purchase for at least a few weeks to decide if it's worth it and if you really want it. Gone are the days of impulse purchasing and spending money and smashing that order button because there's like something with online banking in this day and age where like we don't think about the fact that we're spending money. There is a difference between ordering an Amazon cart of $100 and just seeing that number and not having to even go and get your debit card because PayPal and saving your card and Apple Pay and all these things where you don't even have to get up to feel like you're spending money. It's just a number moving around on your phone apps versus if you had a $100 bill that you'd just taken out of the ATM and you went to a store and you were gonna hand that $100 bill to someone, think about that right now. It feels very different. So I urge you to do the same. Even if you just start out with, you know, thinking, hmm, I'm gonna think about this purchase for a few days. Maybe you're not ready for a few weeks, but a few days to take yourself from those impulse purchases to considering them a little bit more baby steps wherever you're at, but this is something that has helped immensely because there are so many times where a couple of weeks go by and I'm like, mm, yeah, I don't actually think I have a need for that or 
hmm, a big vet bill came up and now I don't have the money for that. And on the contrary, there's things where I've maybe considered getting them for a year, bigger purchases. And I'm finally like, you know what? Yes, I do want this pair of boots or I do want this couch. I don't I've never personally bought a brand new couch. I'm a hand-me-down and Craigslist Kijiji free couch lover. But you get the gist. Bigger purchases, when you think about it and then buy it, you feel more confident in your purchase. You feel like you've made a good purchase because you know it's something that you've yearned for and wanted for a longer period of time. So that's one way that I combat the impulse shopping consumerism over consumerism. And on that note, I think it's also important to limit the amount of urges you have to overconsume. So for me, this revolves a lot around limiting and restricting what I'm seeing on social media. Now, as a social media creator, I have a lot of friends that are influencers and push a lot of product and I love them and everyone has to make that coin. However, I love the mute button and I'm so sorry to any of my pals listening to this that's like, mm, maybe that's why they never view my story. I do selectively, but overall, any of my friends that are often, you know, showing all of these things that they're buying and promoting, I have them muted with peace and love. And there's nothing wrong with that. It helps to keep the urges away from thinking that I need these things because this cool influencer has it or my friend uses this and it quote unquote changed her life. That doesn't mean it's going to change my life. Doesn't mean that I need it. So I love the mute button. I also love the unfollow button. I follow like less than 200 people on any of my accounts anywhere, even Facebook which I don't use often. I have less than 200 friends because first of all, I can't keep track of that many people and connecting with that many people. And I don't think that a follow equates to a friendship. Even I know, like I've had friends talk about this, that on their personal Instagrams, they get so offended if someone unfollows them and then they feel weird when they see them out in public. And who cares? I think we all need to take things a little less personally. Again, that is a topic for another day on social media and friendships and the nuances of parasocial relationships. Uh, my point is being careful what you're letting in your space, unfollowing people that make you feel not enough, that make you feel like your space isn't enough, that you aren't enough, that you need all these other things, unfollow. Or like I said, if it is friends that you want to check in on once in a while, you can mute them. That's the lovely thing on Instagram. You can mute a story or you can just mute their posts. On Facebook, you can unfollow them so you're still friends with them, but they're not coming up on your newsfeed. I don't think TikTok has a function for this yet, but if you're on TikTok and you know the free page is just giving you this, that, and that, you can hold your thumb down and click not interested. So whenever like haul type videos come up or like Amazon finds that you can't live without, I smash that not interested. I do not want the algorithm thinking that that's what I want to see because it is not enriching my life. Yes, it is a change to get used to. And there are times along the journey when I was starting this a couple years ago where I would like search Amazon home finds because I'm like, oh, but I need something to yearn for. And then I catch myself and I'm like, baby, what is you doing? No, you do not need that. It's so hard because it's so normalized. Again, we live under a capitalistic society. It is not your fault that you have these feelings. It's just managing them to live within your means and your lifestyle. It's freaking hard when you see everybody else living a certain way or you're trying to talk to friends as you're transitioning your lifestyle to a slower life, living with less, a budget person in this economy. It's hard. Not everybody's going to relate. You're going to find that there's certain friends where all they want to do is go out and say, go to the thrift store. Thrifting is consuming too. We'll talk about that in a bit. And I'm going to do a whole other podcast talking about decluttering, organizing, cleaning. But I do want to talk about another tip or rule that helps me manage the amount of stuff in my life. 
it's kind of two. So one is if I do purchase something online, I bring that item in, I unpack the box and I don't break it down. I use that box and that box gets filled with stuff to donate. So even if it's just one item that came in, that box now has to be filled with things. I mean, if it's a huge box, that's a different, you know what I mean? But like in general, and I find that this helps a lot and you'll be surprised when you're like, oh, I have to fill this box. All the things that you find where you're like, yeah, that can go, that can go easy peasy. And you don't have to do that. The other rule that I like is the one in one out rule. So say you buy a new pair of jeans, one item has to leave. Now for me, I like to stick within that category. So if a new pair of jeans comes in, and I didn't maybe need a new pair of jeans, one pair goes out that I'm not wearing. So that I'm not having, again, too many options because for me, I, ju I just can't wear them all, it's overwhelming. But also so that you're not having so much stuff. However, that can be also completely unrelated. Maybe you buy a new set of pots and pans, but you decide that there's some old raggedy towels and blankets that you don't need anymore. And so you get rid of those. The one in, one out rule helps, keeps things under control so that you're not suddenly overflowing with things. Especially if you're a thrift shopper, this is important because you can suddenly come home with 10 new things and only spend $20. And it's helpful to remember that you also should be parting ways with things that are just creating clutter and clogging up the house and thus clogging up your brain. Uh, circling back though to the topic at hand, learning to live with less. Another tip that I like to do is rearrange your furniture. So if you get the itch to update your space, you're like, I want a different vibe. I want a different feeling. Take an afternoon, have a friend over and just move your stuff around. I like to even move stuff from room to room. I used to have my full length mirror in my like dining room entryway. Now it's in my office. Totally new vibe or switch your bed around, switch it to like on an angle in your bedroom, move the dresser around, move your decor around from room to room. It's wild how much it just switches up the vibe without having to purchase anything new, it just scratches the itch. I think more than our own spaces, when we're talking about learning to live with less, it's important to think about how that's impacting our lifestyle. So let's talk about how this can impact friends and what you do for your social life. Because I know especially women are targeted with shopping, with quote unquote self-improvement, the wellness girlies out there. There's so much push to get together and consume, consume, consume. And we want to break that. Of course, this can affect people of any gender. I'm just giving an example of statistically where we see overconsumption pushed to in the magazines, in the TV ads, all that not enoughness, right? These ads that are like, you need this cream or you're gonna get wrinkles. Aging is another conversation um, and the inequality in the expectations of aging for men and women. However, they use those to specifically target women to think that you need all these things. Oh, how do we get around that? How do we switch the narrative of what we're doing with our free time, how we're staying social with our friends without consuming, consuming, consuming? They can be hard conversations to have with your friends and friends might not know what to do when you're like, I don't want to go to the mall. I don't want to go to the thrift store. I don't want to go spend $50 on brunch and mimosas. I am not a brunch and mimosas person. I barely afford to eat out, but you know what? Maybe you're that person that's overspending on brunch and mimosas. But what I like to do with my friends now is go to one another's home or a apartment and just have tea. I specifically always remind my friends, homes are meant to feel lived in. Don't feel like you have to clean for me. Don't feel like you have to organize for me. This is a safe, no judgment zone. And that helps a lot too, because a lot of us don't want to have people into our spaces because we feel like embarrassed or like we have to perform. So be transparent. Talk about that. Say, hey, I just want to talk to you. I want to catch up with you. Let's go have tea or coffee at your house. Just something low key where you can actually spend quality time together and you're not just consuming together. 
I also really like to do walks in nature. And I think at the start of all this COVID stuff, walks became a space for people to connect, whether it was with your friends or your family, when we were all doing those like 20 minute walks every day, where you would meet up with your neighbor to go for your hot girl walk or go out with your parents if you're living at home or call up your friend and walk your dogs together. I have continued that in my life and I love it so much. For me, this might not be for everybody, but me and my friends love to go look for like bones on our walks in seasons changes. I know that's not for everybody, but for like the fellow weirdies out there, it's a nice time when the snow's melting and you can go for a little walk and you're like hunting. You're like hunting and gathering and scavenging for little treats can also be, say, going for a walk on the beach to find little sea glass or seashells. And this is super fun in the winter too. My parents taught me this growing up. We were winter beach walkers. If you live somewhere without winters, good for you. But for me, it is cold. There is snow. Things are happening. And I always loved to go to the beach in the winter. It was so pretty. If there was a lot of snow, sometimes you couldn't even see where the sand ended and the water began and just hunt for little treasures. Or again, you can just go for a regular walk. But I like to hunt for little things. I also have a best friend who knows I love feathers. So she'll go on walks and she'll intentionally think, oh, I'm going to scavenge for feathers to give to Victoria. And then whenever I see them, they have this little like pile of feathers for me. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is the best gift I could ever receive. Thank you so much. And it's a win-win situation. Maybe you just like make a tea in your Getty and go explore your neighborhood or I don't know, get your Getty, drive somewhere else, explore that new neighborhood. My point is get out there with your friends and family in nature and walk. Of course, there's the nuance that this isn't accessible for everybody. I'm somebody that lives with chronic illnesses. A lot of the times I don't have the energy to walk in nature, in which case I also love to go to McDonald's and get a McFlurry with my friends and sit in the car and listen to music. I think food is a nice thing for all of us to bond over and it doesn't have to be extravagant dinners out. There's nothing like an Oreo McFlurry and a throwback emo or Hilary Duff playlist in the car in the McDonald's parking lot. Keep it simple. Get back to your roots. I also love free community events. So whether these are like online Zoom events or my city does like foraging and nature walks in the summer, you just have to look on these different event pages and Facebook groups and community websites to see what's going on and what events are being offered. A lot of them are like pay what you can as well. So in the summer in my city, there is free outdoor movie nights in the parks, which is really, really cool. Sometimes the baseball diamond will even have these, but they're like little family movie nights. So you can just bring a blanket, bring your own snacks, and they'll play movies. Not necessarily new movies, but still great movies. And this is a really fun one. I love this idea. I think probably a lot of cities that are moderately sized would probably offer something similar. You just have to look for this information. I also really like to connect with friends over low-cost hobbies. So for me, I've made a lot of new friends the last couple of years that love to read like me, and we've gotten each other into the library. I've never physically stepped foot in the library because I have some social anxiety issues, but I got a library card online for free and got really into the app Libby, where you can borrow eBooks and audiobooks for free through the library. So suddenly I was spending a whole lot less on books. I got a Kindle that was worth the investment for me. And I do pay for a Kindle Unlimited subscription and that's all I pay for. I don't buy physical books anymore unless I'm gifted them or gifted a gift card. And as someone that loves to read, this has been a really great way to bring in a low cost hobby to my life. And I've surrounded myself in this phase of life with friends who are also into that. And we can sit and we can talk 
talk about books or hop on the phone and talk about the books that we read that month. And it's a really nice way to connect with people over something other than just physical consumption. A lot of you listening probably also know I'm really into knitting. I have been a knitter for as long as I can remember. My stepdad's mom taught me when I was probably eight and wanted to knit my first Gryffindor scarf for Harry Potter. It was so awful. It turned out so bad, but I was so proud of that thing. And since then, I've expanded a lot upon my knitting knowledge and repertoire. But I love to knit and I almost never buy yarn full price or new. Buy and sell groups on Facebook or your local neighborhood groups, the buy nothing groups, all incredible for finding yarn. Even the thrift stores, the value villages in my town have a little section with yarn that people have donated, which is another awesome way I like to get yarn. As a knitter, a lot of you, if you knit or crochet or do any kind of textile craft, you probably also know there's so much temptation to buy like the new fancy yarn. There's so much pressure to like, oh, I wanna buy this yarn to make this new project. I am a knitting scrap lover. So this year I'm on a mission to buy no new yarn. I've got my little duffel bag full of scraps of like half balls of yarn left over from projects or the yarn I don't love the texture of or the yarn I didn't love the color of and I am making things with them. So whether it's what I call a little mismatch Weasley cardigan where you're making little squares and then knitting the squares together of different patterns to make something or I'm using scrap yarn right now to knit washcloths for Mother's Day for my mom again. You better not be listening, Mary. But I'm just saying, finding ways to make your hobbies low cost can help with living with less. You're spending less, there's less clutter around you. You are generally training your mind to be okay with not having all the new things. Because there's also the trap of people that are like, I'm gonna buy less, so I'm gonna get into hobbies. I'm gonna do things. And then they end up spending equally as much money on their hobbies or jumping from hobby to hobby. So be intentional with whatever you're doing in your life and whatever you're consuming and think about how you can do this in the way where you're bringing the least amount of stuff into your life and being happy with that and being proud of yourself. And that's a really important avenue of this all is to recognize the reward. Think about how proud you are of yourself and for consuming less. That feeling alone is worth its weight in gold. So for me to do this, I set like little limits or challenges per se at the beginning where I would say, okay, no new beauty or hair products bought this month, which might seem silly to some people who are like, well, it takes me months to go through shampoo and conditioner. But those of us who were really into like hair and beauty products might understand what I mean in how limiting that can feel. Or another one is I did a year where I said, okay, I'm going to purchase less than five books new this year and source alternatively through neighborhood little libraries or library cards, book swaps with friends, thrifting books, etc. And now I look back at that challenge and I'm like, oh, well, that's no problem. I source all of my books alternatively and never buy books new and full price. At one point, that was my starting point. Or I had a year where I remembered that thrifting is still consuming and that is still bringing things into your life. And sometimes you can overspend at the thrift store because suddenly you're like, well, I can get all this stuff for $100 rather than just a sweater from Aritzia, but you're still spending $100. So just setting those boundaries and limitations for yourself, whether it's a month or a year. And if you don't stick to it, that's okay. Not being hard on yourself, but just keeping those things in the back of your mind to try and challenge yourself because you will learn to live with less. Like I said, I am a recovering like hair, beauty, wellness over consumer. I grew up in the era of beauty YouTubers. And I can't wait for those of you who are also like grew up in this era to relate to this. And I am talking like Juicy Star 07, Blair Fowler, Mac Barbie 07, Beauty Babe, Zoella, Tanya Burr, 
all of these beauty YouTubers where immediately Christmas morning, like two hours, you've barely been awake and open your presents. And these girls were hustling to get up their what I got for Christmas 2009 videos. And we ate that shit up. I even had subscriptions, physical subscriptions to like Teen Vogue. I remember as a young kid, like Tiger Beat, J14. I lived for magazines. And what were all these YouTubers and magazines pushing was consumption. What beauty products you need, what hair products you must have. And suddenly, even if it was from the drugstore, I had like five different conditioners, six different body lotions in my bathroom. Who needs all that at once? I've learned, not me. I get overwhelmed even now if I have more than a few body washes in my cupboard to go through. I just don't need it. And I've realized how long it takes to use things up. A great book that I read recently was called The Year of Less. Oh shoot, what was it called? Hold on, let me Google. Okay, yes, I was correct. The Year of Less, How I Stopped Shopping, Gave Away My Belongings, and Discovered Life is Worth More Than Anything You Can Buy in a Store by Kate Flanders. I read this on Libby, the audiobook for free. I can't recommend it enough. It is a little on like the extreme side, but there's things that you take away from it. Like the fact that she said she recorded for a year how much product she actually went through. And she found, you know, she only used two tubes of toothpaste, one stick of deodorant, three things of shampoo, three things of conditioner. And it puts into perspective how much you actually use. So you can think about how much do you really need to be buying? I know it can be tantalizing when there's like this, like Sol de Janeiro Brazilian bum bum cream, but you already have a big thing of Aveeno moisturizer at home. Do you really need it? Are you really gonna use it? Another thing that helped me when it comes to like physical products is remembering that these things expire. And not only do they expire, but there is a little thing on the bottom of most beauty products or hair, wellness, whatever, that tell you how long it's good for once opened. And I've never seen anything more than 24 months. Most are like six to 12 months. It'll just be like a little, little big symbol on the bottom with like a six or some kind of number in it, right? You also have to remember, okay, maybe you buy three different body lotions and you're like, yeah, but I'll use them all. Yeah, but they're going to start going rancid and funky after, you know, six to 12 months. And are you really going to use all of those up in six to 12 months, even if you're using them all rotating through every day? So all of these little things have really helped me with getting past that overconsumption of beauty products is just realizing how little you actually use. And I know this is also tricky for the people that are really into makeup. And again, during my time, there was like the NARS orgasm blush and the naked palette and like all of these like cult beauty items that everybody wanted and everybody had, even though I was like 11 years old and barely wearing makeup and did not know what I was doing. Not a makeup artist, definitely did not need to own like four different eyeshadow palettes or like, oh my God, the Anastasia Beverly Hills dip brow era. I had no business. I had no business having that stuff. I gave myself the blockiest eyebrows, but we were all doing it. It was an era, but I am proud now to be able to just avoid those eras altogether. I see it. I respect the hustle and I know it's not for me and I don't need that in my life, but it is hard. Like I said, circling back, living with less takes a lot of mental retraining. You can feel very dissatisfied with your life at the start of implementing these practices. It can be difficult to push through. It can feel really isolating. The thing that I hear from a lot of people is just that they don't know how to relate to their friends anymore who are still stuck in that capitalistic mindset of, oh, I'm gonna make money and spend a bunch of money and get into credit card debt and they're okay with that. We'll do a whole other episode on friendship breakups and how friends ebb and flow throughout periods of your life because I think that's something really important and sad to kind of come to terms with. 
there are shifts that happen in life when you go to learning to enjoy living with less and making those changes. But that pretty much wraps up everything that I wanted to chat about today. I hope this episode was a little more coherent than episode one, and I appreciate everybody's feedback on the previous episode. I actually wrote little show notes in a Word document today to try and go through, and I'm not sure yet if this is how I like to do podcasts or what I'm going to do in the future, but let me know what you thought of this episode. Again, I'm on Instagram at Vic in the Meadow and TikTok at Vic Sauce. I would love to hear what you think, if you have any other tips on learning to live with less, but I'm wishing you all well, and I will catch you next Sunday. And I hope you all have a wonderful start of your week. The Sunday scaries are at bay if you're actually listening to this on Sunday, and we will talk soon. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.